I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to the gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 5 through 14 as we continue to work our way through this amazing Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has given to us. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that you, as you spoke through your Son on that hilltop those many years ago, as he spoke these words to your people, we pray that you would speak through those words to us today. As we listen by faith, as your people ready to receive what our King has for us. And so we ask that all the different distractions that are in our hearts and running through our minds right now. Those many cares and concerns that have to do with this life. Lord, help us to set them aside that we might receive afresh what is true and good and beautiful about the life that is coming and the life that has already come in Jesus Christ. Bless us, for we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We come here today to some of the most famous, well-known words of Jesus Christ. Well, unless you are a 16-year-old boy that grew up in a broad evangelical church that didn't, didn't have a worship service that utilized the Lord's Prayer. I still remember to this day when, when uh, we uh, had moved back to North Carolina and I was uh, at a new school with people, kids I had grown up with, but now was returning to. And that first game, that first football game of the fall, right? That first game that several just got to play here recently. I still get a little amped sometime this time of year. But I remember us preparing. 
We were ready. We were huddled up about to run out onto the field and burst through that banner. And my, and my coach, who looked, sounded and acted like Dusty Rhodes. If you don't know that reference, that's okay. He was a wrestler from the 70s. All of a sudden, in his pregame speech, broke out into the Lord's Prayer. And everyone around me were just ripping it off. And I was like, okay. I grew up in church. Um, I know this is from the Bible, but it hit me. I don't know this. Now, I say that not to try to point out something wrong or negative or bad about the different churches I grew up in. I grew up in very good, conservative, Bible-believing churches that were above and beyond in teaching the Scriptures to, to everyone from beginning to end. Even though they were not Reformed or Presbyterian, they were covenantal. They just didn't realize it. But here I was, someone who had grown up in the church, and I didn't know it. And that's because the setting that I grew up in was part of the, one of those settings that had rightfully responded against some of the negative encroachments that had taken place in many of the mainline denominations, where, where the Bible itself wasn't being believed as the Word of God, and yet the Bible was still being used to prop up their, their false approach to religion. And, and so in responding to those things, they had, I think, made the mistake of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Oh, you go to the Catholic Church. Oh, you, you go to the liberal mainline church. You'll hear the Lord's Prayer. You know, the congregation will, will pray that every week. Well, well we, we don't agree with their theology. We don't agree with their liberal drift. And so we're doing something else. And I think what happened was some of those things that you would hear and see in churches that they disagreed with, not only were they reacting against the bad theology, they actually threw out some historic practices that have been practiced by the church for thousands of years. I don't say that to, to point fingers and be negative, but it was startling to me that I was surrounded by guys that were not active believers. And they knew the words of Jesus and could pray that prayer, and I didn't know them. Now, I wasn't a believer either. But it just struck me as odd. Jesus here is giving us instruction in how to pray. And the content of this prayer is not the, the only thing that is important about what Jesus is trying to teach us. Now, everything that Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount leading up to this prayer, all of that is now going to be actively reflected in how we pray and what we pray and why we pray. Now, we're not going to deal with that all today in one sermon. But everything that we have been talking about in terms of Jesus 
as the king of that realm of the unopposed glory of God, that he has come and he has brought that kingdom with him and he has inaugurated that kingdom within history and he has inaugurated that kingdom within your hearts if you are in Christ. And, and that realm of the unopposed glory of God is, is that setting that we have been talking about that orients us truly to who we are and what we do and why we do it. And all of that is coming into the prayer. And all of this is being built upon these foundational ideas that the kingdom of Jesus Christ brings with it a heavenly set of virtues, a heavenly set of values, and brings with it these practices by which we bear witness as ambassadors of the heavenly places that there is a better country, a better world than what we are living in. We are ambassadors of that. And everything when it comes to our theology, especially our lived theology, is taking all of this and packaging it so that we can serve as ambassadors. We are to value that humility that Jesus puts forward to us all the way back in the Beatitudes. That if you want to be that tree that is planted by the, the streams of living waters, as described in Psalm 1, that is growing and thriving and will, will live forever. If that's the blessedness that you want, you have to humble yourself in order to receive from God. You have to want what God has to offer. And as he gives it to you, you, you take it in. And you, you strive to embrace it. You strive to embody it. And we strive to extend that out into the world. But that humility, that recognition that I need something from outside of myself, that recognition that where this is going is that I, with the church, will see the face of God. This is what not only is the content of what Jesus is saying, this is, is what it's all about. We are not to be like the scribes and Pharisees who have a righteousness that is not righteous. It is a righteousness that is external. It is a righteousness that's on the base of what they accomplish on their own. They have reduced the law of God. They have minimized it in order to make it more doable. They have cut out the internal aspect of the law and only are holding to the external, and the external they've changed, they've minimized. That is not the righteousness that Christ gifts to us. It's not the righteousness that we will express in the heavenly places forevermore. And so that is not the righteousness we are to live by today. We can, are not to minimize the law, but as Jesus said, every jot and tittle must be fulfilled. Well, how are you and I going to do that? We just had a portion of the service where we acknowledged that we already haven't done that. 
We have acknowledged that this past week we struggled to live according to the virtues and values and practices of the kingdom of heaven. We confessed that even though we're citizens of that realm of the unopposed glory of God, we have actually opposed him this past week. You see, the reason that, that the scribes and Pharisees, or the hypocrites, as he says here in Matthew 6, the reason they minimize the law and they reduce what God has said is because they don't want to live with the honest recognition that they can't do it and that they need something from outside of themselves. Well, beloved, that's what Jesus has gifted You can't do it. He's done it. But because he's done it, because he's made you new, because you are been made alive and raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenlies, you are now growing and developing and maturing. And you are now able to to follow God's will more and more as the children's catechism reminds us. What is God doing when he sanctifies us? He's making us more and more holy in heart and conduct. The reason I'm saying all this, beloved, is that we need prayer. And prayer is something that God has gifted to us as his people, whereby we tap into those realities of the heavenly places, the heavenly mediation of Jesus Christ. And we tap into who we are as citizens of those places. Prayer is an absolute essential. It is so essential here. Notice that just like we saw last week with regards to giving alms, In practicing generosity, he doesn't command us to do it. He assumes that we're going to do it. As we have noted, this this threefold practice of of almsgiving and prayer and fasting, these these were fundamental, foundational uh, practices of spirituality in the history of God's covenant people. He assumes we're doing this because these things were commanded already. He assumes we're going to do it. He says, here's how you do it well. And here's how you do it as a citizen, not only of that typological expression of the kingdom in the old covenant, but here's how you do it now as members in this eschatological household of God. Just like with almsgiving, this practice of prayer is is not to be used as a way to get applause from men. And if you notice, the same instructions are given here as were given for almsgiving. When you do it, Do it quietly and do it as a participant in the generosity of God who, who, as we noted uh, several weeks ago, makes it rain on the just and the unjust. 
God is generous to all of his creation. And we, when we enter into that generosity, we reflect that aspect of who God is and what God does. And so we give and we provide, but not to get something like applause from men. We do it that we might enjoy, as we said last week, that attaboy from God or that attagirl from God. Now, I was told afterwards, a couple of people were like, what's an attaboy? I looked that up on my phone, and I wasn't sure what that is. Does everyone know that southern expression? All right. I'm sure Jeff is really good at those attaboys as a football coach and a wrestling coach, right? When, someone, when, they, when you see someone, and they've, they've taken what you've taught them, and they've attempted to do it, even if they don't do it perfectly, the fact that they attempt it and they try, and that your dad or your coach or your mom comes alongside, and they give you that side hug, or they give you that, you know, in sports. Um, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> Right? And you hear that, way to go, or in the South, attaboy, girl. We live because of Christ, because of our justification, because of our adoption. We live under the eternal smile of, of, the, of the benediction of number six. We live under that eternal benediction of God causing his face to shine upon us. That's why we do what we do. We do what we do because of what we received, who we are, and now we are living as an expression of that. We're living as an expression not only with regards to that earthly dynamic of our ongoing walk with Christ. We do it as an expression of the heavenly dynamic. Why is there no murder in heaven? Why is there no adultery in heaven? Why is there no conflict and escalation and hate in heaven? Because that is the realm of the unopposed glory of God in which His will is the only thing that exists. It's the air that you will breathe because you will be made like Christ when you see him. And all that's been declared to us and and all that is gifted to us and, and all that we receive right now by faith, it will all become the only thing that's true of us. And guess what? You and I are going to spend our eternity praying to God. We see that in Revelation 4, Revelation 5, Revelation 7, Revelation 19, as the saints are gathered around the heavenly throne offering to God his praise. So we, we won't always have the same content of prayer, but praying is part of our eternal heavenly calling as God's people. And so we want to pray even now in a way that reflects that praying 
that we will pray forevermore. And I guarantee you, right now, among the angels and departed saints, there's no one walking into that service going, all right, I am going to wow this crowd with my prayer today. They are sitting under the mediation of Christ. Where the scripture tells us he's leading the service. There is no opposition to God's glory in that realm. And and when we use prayer as an opportunity to draw attention to ourselves, beloved, that's what we're doing. Even in the process of, of practicing a, a kingdom practice like prayer, when we don't do it the right way, it is not consistent with who we are. And just like last week, if you're going to use your generosity as a reason to make a name for yourself, great. That's, that's what you'll get. You'll get a name. And as long as people remember that name here on earth, you get to enjoy that name. But there's another way of giving. Giving that is the response and the experience of having received a new name in Christ and being known by God according to that new name forevermore. Prayer is in this same practice. Why do you pray? Why you pray will reflect itself in what you pray. Years ago, I, I heard someone that was, had become convicted about, about how they were praying and, and realized that if they were to sum up their life of prayer, it could be summed up uh, basically as uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, uh, sorry, 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 help me, help me, help me. Prayer for many becomes reactive like that. Something happens and I react. If it's good, I'll react and say thank you. If it's bad, I don't say thank you. I say help me. Now what the scripture teaches us is regardless of what's happening If it's good or bad, we're supposed to be saying thank you. And whether it's good or bad, we're supposed to be saying help me. The problem there isn't isn't even just simply that it's a simplistic, self-focused prayer. It's that it's reactive. It's not the type of praying that is an expression of having a relationship with God. Jesus throughout the Gospels as one who had that relationship with his father is constantly, we are being told, going off alone so he could pray. We also see him having his disciples join him in prayer. But prayer was was a central element to, to how Jesus, who had a sinless relationship with his father, how he enjoyed and experienced that relationship. So he would pray. Now, we don't know everything that he prayed. 
But I imagine it could be summed up with things like Father, my heavenly Father, my Father who's in heaven. May your name be praised and glorified. May your kingdom come in its fullness. May the will that takes place in that realm of your unopposed glory, may that overtake this world and my existence. May that overtake the hearts of your people. Give give us what we need today to follow you. Forgive us. Deliver us. Now, I'm no rocket science, or actually it doesn't apply here. I'm no PhD in theology. But I don't think Jesus would tell us pray in this way if it wasn't how he prayed. And if it wasn't what he prayed. So why do we pray? Is it, is it to make a name for ourselves? Do we want to be known either as an individual or do we want to be known as a church? Oh, man, that's the church. That Man, their prayers, oh, they are so deep and theologically sound. That church's worship and prayer, oh, man, they just, that's the place to go. The reason I say that is because there's many in our tradition that that is why they pray. That is why they they do what they do in worship, and it is what motivates how they do it. And I know it because I was there, and I've gone to the conferences, and I've had the conversations, and I know my own heart. This goes on. But what does Grace Covenant want? When it, when it comes to be, being, uh, if we were to be known by outsiders for, for our worship and, and for our praying, what do we want to be known for? These deep theological prayers that, that give the impression of being really deep spiritually? Or prayers that shine the light on God? And that honestly acknowledge need and dependence. See, just like the kingdom practice of, of humble generosity, the kingdom practice of prayer is also to be characterized by humility. Father, I have needs. Your church has needs. Your world has needs. But before we get to those, let's talk about how awesome you are. If you notice in the prayer, notice that there are only two basic pronouns that are used. The the second person pronoun, you, and the first person plural pronoun, us. If you notice, it's not, it's not singular there. And it's not that praying isn't to be done by individuals, but 
This prayer is a communal prayer. It's corporate by nature because the people of God by nature are corporate. And what are the things that this does then? And just in terms of the pronouns, what does it tell us? Well, it tells us that the prayer is broken into two sections. The one section starts out praying to God about him. The next section praying to God about us. And then within the, the tradition of the, of the church throughout the years, um, there's been that extra at the end, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, which ends in doxology. It's a, dox, it's, it's a doxology that it doesn't appear here in the earliest manuscripts of Matthew. It does appear in some later manuscripts, um, that's why that, that, was, that phrase was included in the King James, is the manuscripts that they had at the time that they were using uh, to create the King James version of the Bible. Um, those, those manuscripts had that phrase. Now that through history and, and through uh, discovery, we, we know of many more manuscripts that were from much earlier, most, more, more closely tied to the, to the early church, and that, that Doxology isn't included there, but the doxology is included in the scripture. It is certainly biblical, it is certainly scriptural, and it serves the purpose of what God is doing and what Jesus is doing. That prayer rightly orients us to the kingdom of heaven. So, there's prayers, that's part of the prayer that is directed to God where we pray about God's name, where we pray about God's glory, right? And then there's a section in which we are praying for us, where we are praying for bread, praying for forgiveness, praying for deliverance. And we're going to get, unpack these as we go. But that's the basic gist here. As an expression of of being a people who now have a heavenly citizenship but still living in this world, prayer orients us to our true selves. It orients us to the heavenly. But it also orients us to our true selves as also still being earthly. That's the big picture here. The church throughout the ages has prayed this prayer because when it is prayed by faith it it accomplishes the purposes that Christ has you and I as we were warned in Deuteronomy can receive the blessings of God and that can become something that we get so accustomed to that we get fat and happy and as a result we don't live with a conscious dependence on God this prayer orients us back to, yes, we are the recipients of this, these kingdom blessings. And because of that, this is what gives us what we need to live as ambassadors here and now. This prayer gets us outside of the earthly and it gets us outside of our isolated selves in which we live in response to, to the things that are happening to us as individuals. And it helps us to put those into the bigger context. 
Because you and I, beloved, we either allow the earthly circumstances to redirect our hearts, or we, in doing so, we become so self-focused in, in feeling and experiencing pain that we lose sight of the greater picture of who we are and how we wait well for the fullness of the kingdom to come. And so we pray humbly, quietly, not using it to make a name for ourselves or to feel spiritual. We do it to glorify God so that we can love him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we do it to glorify God by acknowledging that all of our needs he provides so that we can love our neighbors as ourselves. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, self-centered. The righteousness of Christ is living for others. And so this week, here is a a challenge for you. We we did this last summer when we did uh, the Lord's Prayer in the Sunday School. But throughout the history of the church, the the church, there has been a practice of praying the Lord's Prayer. Not only learning from the Lord's Prayer and how to pray, but praying this prayer, using this prayer by faith to let it have its way with us, to properly orient us to, to, um, to our lives here on earth. And so the practice of the church throughout the ages has been pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Pray it in the morning, pray it in the afternoon, and then pray it at night before you go to bed. When you are tempted to get so involved in your daily activities and carrying out the vocational um, uh, privileges and responsibilities that God has given to you, it becomes really easy to get distracted by the earthly vocational uh, responsibilities and privileges. And so throughout the day, we reorient ourselves. We start out the day orienting ourselves. Midday, we take a step back and we reorient ourselves. And at night, as we go to sleep, we orient ourselves once again that even as we go to sleep, we do so as followers of the God who never sleeps or slumbers, but who is taking care of his world his church, even when we are asleep. So try that this week. Just try it. Pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day and see what that does in orienting your heart and mind to who you are in Christ and and how you embody that reality to your family and to your neighbors to the church, to the world, and even to God, as it is offered by faith as an expression of our humble need for him to give himself to us afresh over and over and over. This is what the Lord's Prayer has for us as we Embrace and practice this kingdom, this kingdom reality of humble prayer. Let's 
do so even now. Our Heavenly Father, there are so many things that distract us throughout the week, that distract us throughout the day. There have been distractions even here within this service of worship. Our hearts are fickle. They are often, Lord, not at rest. And even as Augustine prayed for us, Lord, our hearts are restless until they finally find that rest in you. And so, Father, help us to not just desire rest, but help us to trust the means that you have given us for rest. Help us to be practitioners of prayer. And not just those self-centered prayers that are in reaction to something that has happened, but may the, the whole nature of our existence be one of, of being an active, prayerful people where the activities of our days are, are scheduled around our times of prayer. And Father, bless our praying. Bless us with what we need from you to, to, to deal well with the, the struggles and the strife to deal well when, when things are good and, and when that tempts us to forget you and to deal with things are bad where we are tempted to think that you have abandoned us. And so, Father, use this practice of prayer and use even now the elements of bread and cup to remind us that you never leave us nor forsake us. And that even when we get distracted, you have us firmly, firmly in your grip and in your heart. And so, Father, bless us. And, Father, take our prayers, we pray. And even if we never know the outcome, use our prayers as the means by which you accomplish your purposes in us as individuals, in us as a church, in this community, and around the world. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.